When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited to be uh, together for another week, and thank you for making time to be with us. Uh, whether you are watching this live or you are watching it or listening to it on archive, welcome to the men here in the room. Uh, good to have you guys back and seeing some faces I hadn't seen in a while that, uh, uh, you know, I kept checking milk cartons for you, but uh, it's good to have you guys back. Glad you're here, uh, working your way back into the uh, – uh, the new location, and I know that has been different since uh, we started the year, uh, but uh, glad to have you in the room watching or, or listening live or on the archive. We will be today continuing our journey uh, through the book of Genesis. If you have missed uh, some of the series, you can always go back and catch those archives. That's the beauty of the archives, and Adler does a great job making those available to you. So if you want audio archives, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on Listen, uh, you'll see series there that date back over the last eight years. Uh, if, if you want to watch uh, uh, an archive, just go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, uh, pull down the playlist, you'll see the, the men's Bible study there, and you can walk back through if you want to do the video version as well. And uh, we are, as, as I mean, you talk about chapter 18, so we've been at this at least 18 weeks. It's probably been more than that because some of the chapters we divided up. But we will finish uh, the journey through Genesis when the journey is over, and it's uh, it's going to be a while, uh, but there's so much here for us to understand uh, because uh, so much of the Bible unfolds at the very, very beginning. And as uh, I've told you many times, if you want to see the the most clarity about how God sees any given subject, try to find in Scripture the very first time that he that he comments on it or that he, he makes his um, standard. A uh, couple things I want to make you aware of. We're getting uh, to, to spring, so a lot of graduations are going on. So you may know a young man that's graduating high school or graduating college this spring, and you're thinking, what would be a good gift for him? Uh, I just humbly, I would suggest maybe taking a look at themanchurch.com uh, under our store there. We have 40-day devotionals in the How to Be a Man series. There's three 40-day devotionals, and we have student editions of each one of those. Uh, and uh, you can the difference is it's the same scripture, the same content, but the examples and application that we use are designed for a young single man. Uh, so if you're looking for those student editions, you can find them now at themanchurch.com. That'd be a great graduation gift for the young men uh, that you may be uh, celebrating with coming up this spring when they graduate. Uh, themanchurch.com, we are out and about. Uh, we have over 450 churches all over the country that are doing the men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. Some that you could get involved in, these are the gatherings uh, of the men, and then and at every gathering there's an opportunity to go into our curriculum. Uh, but Helmsy will be in Westmobile coming up this Saturday. Westmobile Baptist Church, they're going to do it in the morning. It'll be outside. I think there's a car show going on, uh, and the men will be gathering there, and Helmsy, of course, will be delivering the message uh, before they go back into their small groups. So that's coming up this Saturday, May the 7th. On May the 11th, uh, Helmsy again, he'll be at Landmark Church. They're continuing the strategy in Montgomery, Alabama. And then on the 14th of May, Rich Wingo will be in Crestview, Florida, at First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. Now, there's other man churches that will be gathering in June, July, August, uh, into the fall. If you want to find those, uh, go to themanchurch.com, look at events, uh, and they're there. If there's any way we can help your church or your group plug into the strategy, just contact us there. We would love to help you. All right, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into Genesis 18. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word and then apply it to our lives. Today, Lord, we continue to look at um, this incredible um, moment in Abraham's life and, and his wife, Sarah, uh, as you once again, um, you tell us so much uh, when we walk through this. Help us to, to glean what you have intended through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to be sure that we fully understand these powerful truths that you're revealing about yourself and about our relationship with you. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Well, uh, now more than ever, uh, we really got to be uh, digging into the Word of God, right? I mean, some of the things that are going on in our country and around the world are, are mind-boggling right now. So now more than ever is a great time for us to cling to the truths of Scripture. So when we get into Genesis um, 18, we, we saw Abraham's reaction that God is continuing to promise this son uh, that that is going to be given to Abraham, now that that name has been changed, and Sarah. And we told you what those new names mean and what, what the, what's the significance of that last week. So God keeps saying you, this promise is coming. It is going to happen. You know, we, we talked about when uh, when Sari and Abram made a detour and tried to bring Hagar into the mix, and, and that, was the, that was the wrong detour, and God has corrected that, and he's dealing with the earthly repercussions of those choices. But, but now we're going to see something extremely interesting, and this is sometimes a very deep concept, and you can, you can read mounds and mounds and mounds about it, but, but Scripture seems pretty clear that we have the pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus, the Son, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And remember, at the end of it all, the, 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 the entire Bible is about Jesus. It's God revealing this, this ultimate plan uh, through the Son and then the presence of, of, of God in the Holy Spirit and, of course, God the Father, which, uh, you know, God the Son says, I'm here to do the will of God the Father. And then he says, when I go, then we'll give you our presence or, or my presence uh, in the Holy Spirit. The, the Trinity in that dance can be a lot to try to comprehend, but the most important thing that I would say is you better have it correct and you better have faith in it, as Adrian Rogers said, to fully understand one God, three persons, uh, to try to completely grasp it with your finite mind, you may lose your mind. But if you deny its existence, then you're going to lose your salvation. Uh, so we, we serve a triune God, and this dance that is going on between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is something that we must take by faith and understand it as best we can, but just acknowledge it. it is. What is your name? I am. Uh, th- this is. So we're going to see this. Uh, really what, what it looks like we're going to see is we're going to see uh, Jesus on his way to Sodom uh, with uh, with two angels, and they're going to pay Abraham a visit. Uh, I, I, you know, you talk about being on an elite list is, is, when, is when you can be put down and you can be actually, it's not an exaggeration for somebody to say Abraham was a friend of God. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, and that's not even an exaggeration. So we're going to talk about now today, we've heard Abraham's reaction that God is still going to deliver this son, Isaac. We're going to get a look at Sarah's reaction today to the promised birth, and we're also going to watch Abraham attempt to intercede for Sodom. Very interesting. So let's start with, with chapter 18, and let's look at verse 1. Uh, and the Lord appeared to him. That's underlined the Lord. That that's that's going to tell us that that's that that's Jesus. Uh, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. All right. So we get right to it. Moses tells us Abraham is it's hot. He's enjoying the shade of of this of this tree and these oaks, and it says that the Lord is going to pay him a visit. Uh, while he is cooling himself in, in the heat of the day. Um, uh, we're, we're Really, it's no more complicated than we've all been there, especially those of us say we do this show out of Alabama. We understand the concept of finding some shade. Okay, we, we get it, and that's what's going on here. So now let's look what happens in verses 2 through 5. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. Underline that, bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. 5, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. All right, so we got three men that Abraham sees. He immediately realizes that one of them is the Lord. He knows it. Now, how he knows it, 
Nobody really knows, but he knows it. Okay. So his reaction tells you that he knows because we 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 do believe that you have Yahweh, you have the Lord, uh, and you have two angels that are with him. Um and and uh when when you when you see this vision, some things I want you to notice, okay? Abraham runs to them. Now we know that Abraham is a very wealthy man with all sorts of staff, for lack of a better term. Okay. He's got servants, he's got it all. He could have sat there and said, Hey, I got some visitors here. Y'all take care of them. Okay. I, I'm I'm the man of the house. I'm the wealthy guy. Everybody works for me. That's not my job. Y'all take care of them and, and be sure they're treated well. Let me tell you what a, a, a man in Abraham's standing would not have done is wash the feet of anybody. Okay, but he he sees it's the Lord. He rushes to them. He bows down. I'm going to get some water. I'm going to clean your feet. I'm going to go get y'all something to eat. That shows you the position that Abraham is taking uh, when, when he sees the Lord. He realizes his place. Uh, and uh, he's going to show them the hospitality, uh, and uh, and and you know we think that he does have an idea because he says calls them the, the the Lord. He does perceive that one of them is the leader, uh, and and he has plenty of people to take care of them, but uh, but he did um, all of this, and and if you read and we read on, you'll see it for these guests. Abraham doesn't just do this, and I think we need to take a note here. Is everybody ready for this? Here comes one of our first truths we need to apply today. Abraham just doesn't notice that the Lord and 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 you know we don't know whether he realizes it's two angels or what, but we know by the way he goes and he sees the Lord and he realizes that he needs to go and and take care of them to serve the Lord. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. Oh, here we go. Now the Lord has showed up at my tent, and um, I know there's these things He wants me to do, and I got to get out there and wash their feet, and I mean, I know I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to do it, but i tell you one thing, I'm not going to do it joyfully. I know he's told me to go make disciples, so I guess I will. I know he's told me to take care of the widows, so I guess I will. I know he's told me to do this, and he's commanded me to do that, and uh, you know, and I know he went to the cross, and he redeemed me when I had no hope, but uh, but these things that I'm, I'm I, the, the now what stuff, I guess I'll do, but I'm not going to do them joyfully. See, see that that's not. You know, if there was anybody in this moment who had the right to send his staff out to take care of this of these visitors, it was Abraham. But when Abraham saw it was the Lord, he realized that that he was nothing but a servant. He now takes the place of a servant, and he goes and he takes care of this group that is led by the the one and only living God. And he doesn't see himself to be equal to God. He doesn't see himself as beneath doing anything for God. And all the way down to he's ready to wash the feet of these visitors, which was something a man with the earthly status of Abraham would have never done or be required to do. But Abraham knew his place. And I think that, um, speaking from experience, one of the biggest problems I had before I experienced true redemption was that I spent far too much time placing myself under the authority of me versus under the authority of the Lord. I was under my own authority, and I certainly was not submitting to the authority of God. Now, I was hoping God would still save me and wouldn't send me to hell, but me being under his authority, that I didn't really want to do that because then he may actually tell me what to do, and I'm going to be in charge of me. So uh, and and it also tells us that no matter what needs to be done for the kingdom of God, there's no man watching this or woman, and there's no man in this room, including your teacher, that there's anything that the kingdom of God will require from me that is beneath me. Nothing. If I need to clean the toilets for the kingdom, then clean the toilets. Okay, there's nothing beneath us. We don't pick and choose the things we want to do. We only pick the ones that give us some kind of accolade or some kind of status. We do whatever needs to be done for the kingdom of God, and we do it joyfully. So um, it's it's really cool because the fact that that, that Abraham can be called a, a friend of God, uh, Vance Havner has been coming up a lot lately. I, I remember when I went to speak at Sherwood, to their men over in Georgia, Michael Catt, who was the pastor there, who's now retired, uh, 
he gave me a book of Vance Havner's little sayings. And, you know, Vance Havner was, was a, a, a hoss as, as a pastor. And here's what he says about how we should, we should rest knowing that when we've been redeemed, that we have a friend in God. And listen to what Vance Havner said. He said, if we are beset by an unseen foe, talking about Satan, we are also befriended by an unseen friend. And he says, great is our adversary, but greater is our ally. You know, yeah, yeah, we got an unseen enemy, but he said, don't forget right here in this example of watching Abraham, his reaction to God coming into his presence. We also have an unseen friend who's much more powerful than our unseen foe. And we need to remember that and, and rest in peace. All right, so now we look at verses 6 through 8. So at first he said, yeah, I'm going to get you a little morsel of bread. I'm going to clean your feet. Y'all rest. Everything's going to be fine. Now we go through verses 6 through 8. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, uh, we, we, we need three sayas of fine flour. Knead it. Make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, uh, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk. And the, and the calf he had prepared and set it before them, and they stood by under the tree while they ate. Here's something else that Abraham said. When the Lord shows up with two angels, a snack won't do. Okay? A, a, a snack won't do. Hey, we got to get some food laid out here. I mean, we got to get a calf. We got to get some curds. We got to get some milk. Hey, Sarah, let's get the cakes rolling. Okay, because uh, I've gone out there and gave them a morsel of bread. If that's all I give the Lord and two angels, that's going to feel real inadequate. So what he did is, is he provided uh, them a, uh, a, a, a meal, but there's something else. Don't miss, once again, don't miss Abraham's countenance. Don't miss it. He's wealthy. He's important. He's going to be, been told by God, the father of nations. Okay, the line to our Redeemer is going to come through Abraham. Okay, what does he do? He takes the role of a servant. He didn't eat while they were eating. Now, in that culture, he he could have sat down with these three important men, and everybody else would have stayed away. But he'd have sat down and he would have dined with them because he's important too, and he's also the the highest ranking male in the area. Okay, he didn't do that. What does a servant do? They bring you the food, and they stand off out of the way, and you enjoy it. And they say, I'm over here if you need me. If you need me, you'll get you some more. You need me to do anything else. But I'm not going to bother y'all while y'all eat. He didn't run up in there and say, look how special I am because y'all came here, so I guess y'all want me to sit down and eat with you. It might have been fine. But what he did is he said, I'm going to take the proper countenance when I'm in the presence of the Lord. And that countenance is going to be, woe is me, I'm a servant and I am ready to serve the one and only living God. Somebody say amen to that. So now verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now let's make a note of the culture here. That's totally appropriate. In this culture, the women didn't go out there and bust up in the middle of all the men talking. It's not like our wives, okay? So, and 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 look, and, and so in this in this culture, Sarah stays out of sight, back in the tent. And if you're invited by the men to come out, or your husband says, "I'd like for you to meet my wife," certainly, but you don't go out there and get in the middle of a bunch of men socializing. That's inappropriate, and you wouldn't do it. And it's respectful. Now, you're going to see Sarah make a mistake here, and you're also supposed to be quiet. Okay? Now, I know that women are watching this right now, and you're losing your mind. I can't. I had nothing to do with this culture. Okay? But, uh, but this is how it went. And, and, but they, Sarah didn't see herself as, as being inferior. She saw this as being obedient to the way the culture worked. Okay? But that's important to know that because, first of all, you've got the Lord – which was also, if this is just some regular man, he would have never asked a man when he walked up his house, hey, where's your wife? He wouldn't have done that. And now keep in mind, here is this person that is you know, supposedly a stranger, we know now it's not, knows Abraham's wife's name. So where's Sarah? And he says, well, she's in the tent. 
And then he says, I'm going to double down on what I've been telling you, and that is I'm going to come back by here about a year from now, and we're going to have a baby. Now, now pay attention. Now, the Lord keeps telling Abraham and Sarah this over and over again. So it says, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. You certainly want to underline that. Um, so we know that that um, that that the Lord is asking about where Sarah is, and this is the first hint to Abraham in case he's confused. As I said, that these are no ordinary guests. I, I, the Lord knows the name of my wife. As I, as I was thinking, I th- this is God. This is the Lord. Also, notice that the name that he asked for was not Sari. Where's your wife, Sarah? Again. I know that her name's been changed, okay? And I also know the significance of that. Uh, and then, even though she's in the uh, the proper place, Abraham at the entrance of the tent, and um, this is now God, you know, he keeps taking these steps about telling him about the promise. This now is the most detailed version of it that he's given so far. I'm now giving you a timeline. You know, it started out as you're going to have a son. okay. You're going to have a son, and it's going to be soon. Okay. Now it's, I'm going to come back in a year from now, and it's going to be here. So it, hey, the, the, this, this event is real. I'm giving you some details now. So God keeps giving more details every time. So And then it comes in 11, and it says, you know, Moses is stating the obvious for, for us here. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. This is verse 11 and 12. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. We know what we know what he means by this. There, we knew she was barren, but sometimes even when women are barren, they they're still going through their cycle. That's been long gone. Okay, there there's no way possible, other than supernatural intervention of God, for this woman to conceive a child. That 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 opportunity. Is long gone. Uh, there, I, I would tell you what the Hebrew word here means, but I'm I'm not sure it'd be appropriate in mixed company. But anyway, the bottom line is that that uh, that opportunity does not seem possible anymore. And then verse twelve, so Sarah, because of all this, laughed to herself, saying, "After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?" What? She laughs at the at the notion of this, meaning that uh, you know, as as our, our pastor he and I, we uh, even referenced this last Sunday, and all the you know commentaries on this are saying it's really clear what's being said here. Not only have you waited so long that uh, I'm completely with no no possible way to conceive anymore. I've gotten so old. Sarah talking about herself, and oh by the way. My husband's 10 years older than me. He's even older than I am. He's about to hit 100, okay? And you're out here saying that we're about to have a child a year from now. What what, what that would take can't even happen anymore. So the, But what did I tell you all along walking you through this before we got here? That God was going to wait, just like Gideon, that's too many men, that's too many men, I want to get it down to there's a, the scenario presents itself that when this happens, you know it had to come from me. There's no other way it would have happened. And she's saying, I don't even think we can be intimate anymore in the way we would need to to produce a child, not just me, but him. And so she laughs at the thought of this. It's funny to her that this has been brought up. So uh, so we remember Abraham laughed at the thought of this, and now it's gotten even it, – it is even more times passed. So now Sarah's even laughing at the thought of this. And then you get something from the Lord. Sarah finds this statement from the Lord so startling and incredible is that uh, she laughs at the thought of it, but listen to what the Lord says. Now, being appropriate – you know, because from what we can gather here, and we see this when these angels get to Sodom, and we'll get later in Genesis, most times angels, and we know that certainly the Lord is is able to do this, even pre-incarnate, their appearance looks like men. 
So when you're when you're talking about the the, the culture, if these men are discussing something, a man would not address somebody else's wife. They would address the husband concerning the wife. That was the appropriate thing to do. Now, keep in mind, the Lord also says, I hear what comment you just made. I'm not going to go there. Okay, I'm going to get back to what I really want you to understand because it wouldn't be appropriate for me to say things like that to a woman. But I am going to say this to you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So now the Lord emphatically says to Abraham, I hear, I hear the laughing. I, I hear y'all still doubting this, but I'm telling you, as I stand here today, there's nothing that's impossible for God. I wonder if we believe that. What does this sound like, this conversation? What, is it, what does it remind you of? You see how this is all a foreshadowing? What, what God is doing, and I've told you this in past studies, but it, this is a really good time to say it again. God is going on record that miraculous births are no big deal for me. So I, I'm setting you up for this is not the only miraculous birth we're going to have. I'm setting you up that there's nothing. I created all this. You know, your body can be in whatever condition you think it's in, and naturally you may say it's not going to happen, but supernaturally I'm telling you it's going to happen. And, and so, and, and, and so what, what did, we've heard this phrase, haven't we? Is anything impossible with God? Who else gets this conversation? Mary. So you, you remember that conversation with Gabriel? It's coming. So it's happening here. For all we know, Gabe might have been hanging out as one of the two angels with the Lord right here. I, we, who knows? But there's there's two angels there. So he says nothing is too difficult for God, setting us up for a miraculous birth that will now be a foreshadowing to another miraculous birth that's going to be coming uh, at a later time. But look at this in 15. He says that I heard you laugh. I know you laughed. By the way, I'm God, okay? I know you laughed. But Sarah's first reaction is, I didn't laugh. I mean, does that, does that, I mean, wouldn't, I, I think that would be me. Uh, are you, Rick, I heard you laugh. Oh, no, I didn't laugh. I, I, that wouldn't, I wouldn't laugh. So I don't know. Would, you know and, and it's silly because this is God I'm talking to. You know, you, you might pull this off with somebody that, that doesn't know whether you really laughed or not. That Sarah's first reaction to the Lord is, well, no, whoa, what are you saying? I didn't laugh because I think she's afraid because the Lord is saying, I heard you laugh, and Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, and, and Scripture tells because she's afraid. And then this is really interesting. Can you imagine you're talking to the pre-incarnate Jesus, and he calls you out for laughing about something that he's going to do, and you say, I didn't laugh, and his, he actually replies, no, you did laugh. Hey, I know you laughed. You laughed at it. That that to me, that's just a bizarre conversation. That now Sarah is in a conversation with the Lord about whether she laughed or not, and the Lord does take the time to say, "I heard you laugh. I know you laughed." So, because of Sarah's disbelief, he repeats exactly what's going to happen, saying, "I'm telling you, this is going to happen," noting that he will come back. So he's no longer. I mean, the the Lord is being emphatic. I will come back, and you will have a son when I come back. What an assurance. And, and, and you wonder right now what's going on with Sarah because the, the whole conversation ends right there. Sarah is so afraid she denies that she laughed. Then she breaks the proper etiquette of the day and addresses the Lord directly, which a woman was not supposed to do if this is a visitor to your husband's house who is a male. Fear led to a lie, but it also shows that she now believes the Lord has spoken because if she didn't believe it was the Lord, she probably would not have denied that she laughed. I think that fear comes from, oh, this is the Lord. And I've just laughed, and he's called me on it. 
Um, a lot of the commentary say if she just thought it was some man, she probably wouldn't wouldn't even have denied it. But she now denies it because she fears because she realizes who she's speaking with. And here's a moment that we have to love. The Lord God Almighty has been contradicted by a human woman, and he does not vent his wrath on her for contradicting him. He simply record, sets the record straight and moves on. I know you laughed. I heard you laugh, but let me tell you this. I'm not going to put my wrath out on you, but I'm going to set the record straight. I will be here, and you will have a child. And he kind of dropped the mic and moved on at that point because you, you see that that's the last thing that we see, and you the, 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 the narrative now shifts, 16, then the men set out from there, and they look down toward Sodom. So, I mean, so we that's that's obviously the last thing we hear about this. The Lord God Almighty sets the record straight, moves on, and says, now I'm headed to Sodom. Uh, so th- the fact that this is a shift in the narrative, we believe that the conversation with Sarah abruptly ends because the scene changes. Now we're overlooking Sodom and Abraham again being a good host. What's he doing? He's trying to see his guest off, right? We do this, don't we? You ever walk your guest out to the car? I mean, my son visited me last night, and you know, at, at some point, I, I was telling Sherry, "When are we done with this goodbye?" I mean, we, you know, we, we we said goodbye to him in the basement. We walked up the steps. We said goodbye to him here by the door. Now we're walking to his car, you know. But you you know that deal where you just keep on saying, "I want to be sure that I'm that I'm sending you off." So. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. I'm in verse 16 now. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Now let's look at 17 through 19. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? This is extremely interesting. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I I picture here, now I don't know whether I'm right or not, but I I don't know. It seems like he's discussing this with the two angels. What do you think? Should I let Abraham in on this? Now, that's interesting that you know if you're Abraham you're kind of going well I have to know now uh, I mean I mean you, you, can't, you can't just bring it up right in front of me so he's 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 he now we don't think the Lord doesn't know what he's going to do but he says out loud for Abraham to hear and he says to these angels shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do verse 18 seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. See that? See You see what he's doing here? 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You, you see, see what a good teacher the Lord is? Shall I reveal to Abraham? Why? Due to him being the, the the father of a powerful nation, now this is the first time this phrase is uh, issued by God that the nation is going to be powerful. He's been talking about a nation, but he hasn't he hasn't really laid out what kind of nation we're talking about. Now he's saying, "I'm gonna you're going to be the father of not just a nation. You're going to be a father of a powerful nation." And and he says Abraham's going to command his children to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So th- this is really good. And Abraham needs to know what that actually means. Meaning, so why, why is it important that I tell them that? Well, he's about to go to Sodom, and he's about to say to Abraham, when you don't do what's just and right, then my wrath comes down on the place. So if you're going to be the father of this powerful nation and I'm going to trust you to tell them that, that to do what is just and right so they're under my authority and they're in good standing with me, what you have to do, because how many, isn't this what we always do? Do you ever do this with your children? Have you ever, ever raised children and you say, now here's what I want you to do and here's why it's important that you do it? Because, I mean, if you think about it, he goes, I want you to teach your children to do what's just and right. Okay. So what if I don't? Well, let me let me tell you what's going to happen then, because I'm about to talk to you about Sodom. Because we're about to wipe this place off the face of the planet. This place off the face of the planet. 
That's why it's important. They didn't do what was just and right. They're at odds with me, and to be at odds with me is a problem. Now, right now, and Henry, we talked about it a minute ago, uh, right now I feel this way about our nation. Because our nation right now, you know, we're, we're, we're at a pretty pivotal point here, and uh, like we've been throughout history, but right now it, it doesn't feel great to be in a nation that seems to be just dead set, pun intended, to thumb our nose at God and to thumb our nose at his standards. Uh, we are doubling down. We're trying to see as, uh, how bizarre we can become. We're not just saying, hey, we're a little off the mark. We are saying we completely reject you. We completely reject your, your, your where life begins. We completely reject your standard uh, for intimacy. We completely reject your standard for marriage. We don't really like the way you said to do things. And how about this? We've heard you loud and clear, and we say no thank you. We're going to do what we want to do. And, and we're going to double down. We're going to get more and more pious more and more defiant and i just got i just want you to know okay i just want all of you to know the only hope for this country is the church there is no other hope you can run out there and vote your heart out okay and you certainly have the right to do that and it's you're free to do it and you should do the best you could do with it but if you think the government is going to turn this country back to god you've lost your mind okay the church has to do that, and, 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 and God certainly will protect his church, praise God for that, which is why it's a pretty good, pretty good idea to be part of it. But, but the crumbling around us, some of this is the point of no return. Because I don't know, do y'all really think that our country is going to have this great awakening that all of a sudden we're going to start saying, hey, sorry about that? We were wrong on that. We're all going to turn back. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to be, you know, Debbie Doomsday here, but I, I'm just telling you that there's. Y'all do know that eventually this this is not. We're not going to have heaven on earth. And and here's the thing that that I think we're headed to. And when you look at what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, and y'all have heard me use this a lot, but I want to tell you, I want to use it in a, different, in a different way today. All who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. Will be. The American church has never really been persecuted. But it will now. Because when you say, I'm, I'm going to stand against these things, against your American society now, because what the church says is no longer becoming mod. It's not vogue. That's not the majority point of view anymore. So if the church digs in and says, we will not move. Now, there's some churches that have decided to move, and they'll be punished for that. We're not moving, and if we have to oppose the country and the government or the people, rather than opposing God, we're going to choose God. Now, some people won't because they won't pass the test. They won't pass the test of persecution. But I'm telling you, you saying that I follow Jesus and this country is becoming less and less popular. And I think if the church gets itself in the proper place, we will be right with God, but we will we will we will then bring down persecution. We're not being persecuted right now because we're not godly enough. But 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 when the church decides that we're going all in then the persecution's coming. Right now, we're a little, we're we're we, you know we're kind of we, we kind of got one foot in the world, one foot over here. We hadn't quite decided yet, but we but the church is going to continue to weed out and purge the apathetic and the cultural Christians, and then and then as the disciples of Jesus become the dominant population of the church with much smaller numbers by the way and 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 then and then all you have are the devout then persecution's coming because scripture says it will it's not a tell tell them that some of the people that choose to live a godly life will be persecuted it says all and you can see it starting to happen 
the, the more the church starts getting serious about revival, the more persecution will come. And what are we talking about? What is, what is revival? And as our pastor has told us, none of us in this room have ever experienced it. I mean, you, you might have had your church, might have had revival week, but it wasn't real revival. The last time we had real revival in this country and in the world, we weren't around. You know, you'd have to almost be in your 90s and get close to 100 to remember that. But if you, it, it means that the church will move back into a position, ultimately, where we fear God. We're in awe of God. And when that happens, persecution will come. And it'll be, it'll be an indicator that we finally are where we're supposed to be with God. So uh, this is why the Lord is saying, should I let Abraham in on what, what's about to happen here? And basically he's talking to the angels going, well, if he's going to be the father of a powerful nation and he's going to tell them that they don't need to turn their back on me and they need to be just and they need to be righteous, well, then he's got to know what it means if you don't do that. What's going to happen? So let, let, let's, let's clue him in. Uh, because God, in verse 20 and 21, look, in verse 20, 21, God knows the state of Sodom. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they, uh, w- whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I'm going to know. I hear an outcry from here. And I'm about to go check it out and see if it's as bad as, as everybody says it is. Of course, he knows. Uh, Ezekiel says this is what was going on. See if this sounds familiar. Ezekiel describes what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. You ready? Some of the things he used to describe this. Prideful. Haughty. You know, have you ever heard people say that, um, that pride comes before the fall? It's not what Scripture says. Haughtiness comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. It's haughtiness that comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. They have plenty, Ezekiel says, plenty, but they don't take care of the poor. They don't take care of the needy. And then they also are committing all sorts of things that are abominations, and these abominable acts, they're committing them right in front of God. That's how he describes Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to run that list again if you want me to. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he said they were prideful, they were haughty, they had plenty, but they did not take care of the poor, they did not take care of the needy, and right before God they were committing all types of abominable acts. I'll just let that settle a minute. That was the state of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, of course, knows that. But he's teaching Abraham. What is he teaching him here? If he already knows, why is he acting like he's going to check and see? He wants Abraham to know, I'm a just judge. I don't fly off the handle. I don't overreact. I'm going to go down and show you how bad it is, and you're going to see what I decide to do is just and correct. I'm not, I'm not unfair when I judge. When I judge that this place has got to go, you're going to see that I was correct. Because you know what he says? Abraham, well, let's look at the evidence. Let's just see how it looks. Verse 22 through 25, this is significant in Scripture. For the first time in Scripture, are you ready to this? A man is going to initiate a conversation with God, not God initiated with him. It's never happened before up, up to this point. So here's what Abraham says. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So the angels have moved forward. Abraham basically is telling the Lord, hey, hold on, me, I want to have a word with you. By the way, what does this sound like? Peter. Do you remember that? Jesus lays out who he is. He says, Peter, you got it right. My, my father allowed you to get it right, and you know that I'm basically going to go and be sacrificed. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross to redeem the world. And Peter pulls him away from everybody and says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. I'm not going to let that happen. 
And then what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, uh, Satan has, has petitioned my father to sift you like wheat, and I'm praying for you. And we all would like to see Jesus right there saying, I'm not going to let that happen. Don't worry about it. Nobody says, you're going to be tested. I hope you pass. I'll be praying for you. We'll see if you're the real deal. So here it is again. Abraham is, is, is talking to the Lord in, in verse 23. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now he's questioning. Wait, wait a minute. You wipe this place off the face of the earth. There's got to be some good people down there. You go. Who do you think he's thinking about? Lot. <laughs> what, what, what if you? What if you're down there? Go, oh, man. I was supposed to take care of Lot, and uh, and now Lot's down there in Sodom. And I rescued him once. He's gone back. If 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 the Lord wipes this place out, Lot's gone. Which has, we'll get to that uh, later in Scripture. Twenty four. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you, will you then sweep away the place and, and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death and the wicked, so that the righteous uh, uh, fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Come on, this, this is going to make you look bad. Now what happens next is Abraham is going to start going through this, and he's trying to come up with a scenario. Don't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Will you judge the righteous with all the wicked? And then he appeals to him as the judge of all the world, going, I thought you were a just judge. You you have to do what's right, which the Lord's going to like, yeah, because you, you're, you're exaggerating. We don't have that many righteous people there. And then and God uh, re- replies, you know, when we get down to the end of it all, because Abraham gives him all these different scenarios, okay? You get all the way down through it because he keeps making the number lower and lower. And the first time the Lord says to him after 50, look at 26. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Okay, if I find 50, then I won't do it. Do you think the Lord thinks there's 50? He already knows that your number's too high. So, so then Abraham answered, all right, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Glad to see Abraham finally get there. Hey, you're calling God out, Abraham. You need to calm down. And finally Abraham says, hey, I acknowledge I probably overstepped here a little bit. I, I'm nothing but ashes. I'm nothing but dust. And, uh, and, and so they, they go through all this. Then Abraham gets down. He says, um, Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He keeps dropping his number. For the sake of 40, I will not do it, Jesus said. This is almost like green eggs and ham. You know, it's it's almost like Abraham's like, I'm trying to get to a number that I feel pretty good about uh, because you keep saying you won't destroy it. I think Abraham knows if you keep saying you won't destroy it, you know that number's not there. And, and so, uh, so they they go all the way down and they get down to twenty, and uh, and then Abraham says in thirty two, "Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but 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 this once. Suppose there's ten. Let, let's just all right. Let's just get down to it, Lord. What if there's ten? And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it." 33, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Why does he stop at 10? Because Abraham has learned of God's overwhelming love for his righteous people. He's now convinced when he's done, he's now convinced that God's just going to judge this correctly. I've made a fool of myself here. What is this? How dare me question God? I love that thing. Abraham went back to his place. God's going to do this correctly, and if he destroys it, then that's the right thing to do. But he also, I think, feels a, a reassurance after the 10 that Lot's going to be okay. I, I, think, I think the Lord will allow Lot to get out, which he does. Now, that that's a whole other message. That, that is. So this thing about Lot which gets real interesting, and we'll get to that later. But 
I want to land there for just a minute. If you have your Bible or something with the, your Bible on it, go to Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, and let's go to, to verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. So first of all, we know that God's wrath is coming, but it's coming for whom? And we got to get this today. It's coming for whom? The unrighteous. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So if you receive God's wrath, then you have chosen to be ungodly, unrighteous, and you're so unrighteous that you will not hear the truth. You won't hear the truth about yourself. You don't think you're in any need of repentance. Uh, you don't think that uh, that God really is going to bring wrath on the unrighteous. You could be a universalist, which is very popular now, that everybody's going to heaven. God's not going to judge anybody uh, because we're such wonderful people, and he's enamored with us. Uh, of course, that's uh, you got to ignore a lot of Scripture to, to believe that, but but that's, uh, well, I guess if you're a universalist, you're ignored Scripture anyway. So it's not a big reach for that. But also, I want I want to look at something that uh, in in First Thessalonians, and I think this is important today. First Thessalonians, and then let's go to chapter five. Now, remember the the church at Thessalonica is is doing a pretty good job, and and Paul's trying to encourage them to continue this. But this is the thing that that you, that you have to get. Okay, you have to get. And this is the beauty of our redemption. So Romans one eighteen says the ungodly and the unrighteous they will see the wrath of God. That, it's going to come down on them. That's for sure. So if the wrath of God comes down on you, then you are ungodly and you are unrighteous. And you and, and how about this? He was just. He didn't make a mistake. But look at the beauty of what Paul is now reassuring those that have been redeemed in the church in chapter 5, verse 9. So he's just talked about, but we we belong to the day. Let us, talking about the church in verse 8, be sober, having put on the breastplate plate of faith and love, and for the helmet of salvation. Why is the helmet of salvation important? Look at 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those that have been redeemed, we are not destined for God's wrath. So when all this about God's wrath, it, it, it can be daunting, it can be scary, and we don't really wish it on anybody. But God has promised in Scripture that if you have been redeemed and you have repented and you have left faith in yourself and put faith in my son, and my son, by his crucifixion and resurrection, his holy blood has cleansed you and has made you fully righteous. So the wrath of God only goes on the unrighteous and on the ungodly. So because of my son, I now see you as partially righteous, fully righteous. And, and those that are fully righteous will are not destined for the wrath of God. And I don't want to get into the whole trib and pre-trib and post-trib and, and all this, but I'm just going to say, I, I, I tend when I get into all this stuff, I just want to land on the things that I know that cannot be disputed. And can I tell you what can't be disputed? Is the church is not destined for the wrath of God. That can't be disputed. Now, if you want to say, well, is the wrath of God the, the pre-trib and the mid-trib? And uh, is it, uh, the, you know, and I, I just know that I'm not destined for the wrath of God. Now, am I destined for the wrath of people? Maybe. Did y'all see the thing I put out that, that uh, Vadi Bachman sent out that was so good? Did y'all see that? So so anyway, I, I just love this. It, it just because, you know, the wrath of God and the wrath of men is, is, is not the same thing. I love this, Vadi Bachman. The message of 2 Timothy is really simply this. Hey, Timothy, they're about to kill me for preaching the gospel. When they do, you preach the gospel till they kill you. <laughs> now, the wrath of people, that's different. But see, if the wrath of people take us out, you know what happens next? We don't see the wrath of God. 
we're in his presence. That's why Paul could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, in closing, 33, the Lord goes on his way, and Abraham goes back to his den. (laughs) Abraham goes back to his place. And I think it's wonderful that the Lord God Almighty would allow lowly human beings to actually converse with him throughout this process of the imperfect Sarah and the imperfect Abraham, the Lord God shows a lot of grace. He lets him work it out. He lets him talk to him. He lets him say things. He certainly sets the record straight. He certainly sets the record straight, but he does it gently. He does it graciously. I mean, he's he's gracious. And, and so we may have things in our life that we, we see and we, we look at God, and really the question that, that we all have to ponder to close out this particular study in 18, you know what the, the takeaway is, and there's a lot, but you know what one of them is? When, when we start all this doubt and we start all this, we got to be real careful that we don't get to the sinful place of thinking that God doesn't know what he's doing. It, it's all right to ask God if 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 he would, would you show me this? Would you teach me this? I'm going to look in your scripture to see how you explained this as best you could. But at the end of it all, Lord, those little gaps that I may not quite grasp, that's where I have faith in you that you are God and I am not. And if I look and I see you hand down wrath, it's just. You're not reckless. That's the reason why I'd, don't get me started on that again. Don't ever let anybody call God reckless. He's a God of order, and he is just. And whatever he decides to do is right. And, and he really would probably prefer that we just be so faithful to him that we don't question him. And when he says this is what's going to happen, a saving faith says, I believe that it will. I trust you. And I'm here to serve you, but I'm certainly not asking you to serve me. Because the servant has fulfilled what he was sent to do, and he has now been returned to his proper place at the right hand of the Father and has been given all authority over heaven and earth. And if he never did another thing for us, he's already done enough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this, uh, this message. Thank you for all the things that we glean from it, Lord. And uh, we look forward to the day that we believe because of what you said, that we will, we will be at a, a banquet and we'll be there with Abraham. We'll be there with Sarah and with Isaac. Uh, and we can even talk about when we were going through this history and they can tell us what it was like to actually be there. Incredible to even think about that. That, um, that it's not just the Abrahams and the Sarahs that you are redeeming. You're willing to redeem the Ricks. And then you just take your name if you're in this room or you're watching this and listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm not just the God of Abraham. I'm, I'm, I'm your God as well. And I, and I was faithful to Abraham. I was faithful to Sarah. I'll be faithful to you. I was gracious to Abraham. I was gracious to Sarah. I'll be gracious to you. I work through them. I'll work through you. And if, if, if you're there today and you're thinking, well, today's the day that just really hit me. That just really hit me as truth. I've been overcomplicating this. Today, I've just realized that, that, that you are God, Lord, and I am not. I am dust. I am ashes. And my only hope is through your grace and mercy. And I place my faith in you and you alone, not in myself. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I repent for my sins, and I leave them, and I turn to you and ask you to make me fully righteous. Because when you do, and you are faithful to do so, if my heart is sincere, then I will be protected from your wrath that is coming 
on the ungodly and the unrighteous. And today, Lord, I ask to be redeemed. If you've done that for the first time or the first time you meant it, uh, just reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com. And if you need any help or I can help you at all, I will. Thank you, Lord, for today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.